Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I was really stoked to chat to you about was unconditional permission surrounding food because... You and I have never really talked about that. Obviously, we've talked about a whole bunch of other stuff, and we may have touched on unconditional permission, but when I made a couple of posts about it a few weeks ago, all of a sudden, questions started blowing up, especially in like um, like one-to-one sessions with clients, like people who've been working with mm. me for a while. And one guy especially said, you know, like, unconditional like that's a big word with some big Mm -hmm. implications as far as food and you know I was just wondering like what does unconditional permission mean to you how do you navigate that for yourself and how do you coach unconditional permission when so many things surrounding food are just like complete lack of nuance totally black and white Mm-hmm. How do you navigate that? Yeah, no, really good question. And thank you for so elo- eloquently putting it. But uh, uh, unconditional permission to me does mean exactly what it sounds. So if I if I truly want to do something, I can do it. Meaning I can eat those. If I want to eat the whole cake, I actually can eat the whole cake. If I really do want it. But it's just that. It's like, well, do you actually want to eat a whole cake or not? So I think the concept of unconditional permission is to help people not feel restricted and to help people Mm. understand that they always can if they want to, because I feel like restrictive dieting or, or just eating disorders in general are kind of like an abusive relationship, right? Where you've got all these things that are off limits. And so if you ever want to rebuild trust with yourself again and trust with that relationship with food, you need to know that whatever you want to do is available and you can Mm -hmm. have it. It rebuilds that abundance. However, the key factor for me is that I don't want to eat a whole cake. I don't want to eat tons and tons of food. I don't want to purge. I don't want to binge. All those things. In the beginning, I somewhat did, but I also knew there was a part of me that didn't want to. So it's kind of like, I I know I'm allowed to do these things, but do I actually want to full-heartedly with every fiber of my being want to do it? And then even if I'm still allowed to do it, I can make the choice not to. So that was a long-winded way to answer your question, but that's how I view unconditional permission to eat. Mm, I think that's a really great answer because I was trying to distill an answer to that question surrounding unconditional permission into, you know, the classic like Twitter tagline, and it was oh, quite difficult. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, hard. It, it was pretty difficult, but I think something I landed on was unconditional permission doesn't mean that it's mandatory to eat every food all the time, always (laughs) forever, you know, like it's that ability to have the choice. And I think when we've experienced so many years of, of strict dieting and actively told ourselves that we can't have things all of a sudden that unconditional permission becomes a bit like 
wait, what? I, how, how does that work? How do you have mm-hmm. permission to eat something or to eat whatever you want and not just immediately like chow down on everything? Like, cause we're so used to just white knuckling it through mm-hmm. any, any given day where we're not, you know, locked away binging. Yeah. Well, and the scary part about it is, is that you suddenly give yourself unconditional permission. People's fears of binging aren't necessarily unrealistic. You might find, I remember we've talked about this before, but in the beginning of my recovery, I was definitely eating way more than I needed to. I was eating, mm. overeating a lot, emotional eating, but that did teach me, okay, this is allowed. Are, are we sure we can do this without binging or purging? Are we sure we can do this without punishing ourselves? We can. Okay. And then the more you do that, I felt like the the more it lost its luster, the more I didn't really want to eat tons and tons of food. And I find that when you can do it with awareness, I was just talking with another coach about this before I got on with you. She was talking about how when you do behaviors, but you at least do them knowing you're doing it and you understand exactly why you're doing it and you give yourself full permission to do it, over time that builds power. And it also makes it a lot less guilt-ridden and you're able to change your decisions over time. Um, I feel like that kind of got off track, but yeah, I, I certainly agree with you that unconditional permission, it's a little scary, but it doesn't mean you have to eat everything forever and it will change over time. I think that's a really important point. Yeah, that it that it will change over time. And it's that that discomfort during that period of time where, you know, we've given ourselves unconditional permission, but things aren't quite changing yet. Like we still might be making some food choices that a part of us is a little bit uncomfortable with. And you posted something really great the other day about um, avoiding discomfort means spending more time in fear. Hmm. Like I I think it was a I believe you. I still remember what I put. <laughs> <laughs> you you were saying essentially that you know when we, uh, unless we rip the bandaid off at some point and confront some of the discomfort involved in changing our habits, changing our actions, you know, taking some action that we might not be totally comfortable with, mm-hmm. until such time as we're ready to lean into that a little bit. Obviously, not to the point where it's like, overwhelming and you know, it induces that freeze response where we don't do anything. But Mm -hmm. until such time as we're willing to lean into that a little bit, we live in fear. Yeah. Because we're just, yeah, we're we're constantly trying to not do something. We're we're just, yeah, we're living in fear until we, yeah, until we're able to lean into it. Yeah, no, I... A lot of people want to feel confident before they do something, and it's the exact opposite. You, you, to build confidence, yeah. you actually have to do the thing in fear, right? You have to yeah. go through it and not know what the hell you're doing. I think we've had both exp- being a coach, right, in this industry. It's like, well, I don't know what I'm going to try something, right? And eventually you build <laughs> confidence from that. And it's not like you should irresponsibly go in. You have probably some idea of what you're supposed to be doing, but ultimately you just have to do it through fear and and experience what feeling fear is like and then you get used to that you get build tolerance to it right and you build confidence in what you can do but yeah no you won't be able to do anything um unless you try something and then you move through it and then you figure out what went wrong with it what went right and then move forward Mm, yeah for sure Mm -hmm. i'm wondering what has been 
the things that you've that have come up for you and your clients and you know your group of people like recently have you noticed anything coming up that you feel is really noteworthy or really different or something that you might be seeing in a slightly different way um anything that you wanted to bring to our chat today because i don't know about you but i always feel like different seasons like every few months of coaching brings about a new topic or something new that mm-hmm. seems to be coming up for more than one person at the same time in a strange way. And I'm wondering if there's anything like that for you that's come up at the moment. What have you been helping people with most over the mm. last few weeks? That's a good question. Um, I think that uh, there's when you ask that question, I'm like, there's this topic, there's this topic, there's that topic, <laughs> but I got to focus. Um, I've been talking to a lot more new people recently. I'm in the phase of my coaching where some client, like a lot of clients are ending things because they're doing better and then ushering in new people. And so I've been talking a lot with people about why it's possible for them to recover. And I'm hearing it in different ways. Everyone's coming to me with their story about how they can't do it. Um, mm. That they're, they're one that has an issue. And someone else, Stella Rivers, I just interviewed her for a podcast. She called it unicorn syndrome, but like thinking they're the only ones that can't recover. Yeah. And I've had to phrase it in several different ways, but what's been so interesting to me is to watch so many different people with different stories. Some have been struggling for 20 years, some have been struggling for four years, and they all think for some weird specific reason that's different to everyone else, that it's not possible for them. And they give me all the reasons why it's not possible. And then consistently people ask, do you think it's possible for me to recover? What I find interesting about that question is, Firstly, are you going to believe me if I say, yeah, yeah, I do? Because, you know, it's my job to help you and stuff like that. Like, even if I say yes till I'm blue in the face, are you going to believe me? But I commonly tell them, yeah, you can recover because you're capable of change. And I just, that's the belief I firmly rely on all the time. But then two, I talked to them about how, you know, you're just using the wrong tools or you're using the tools improperly, or you haven't been taught the tools whatsoever to recover, or you haven't, your belief system is off, all these things. So I guess, yeah, the main thing that's coming up for me right now is how many people just don't believe they can recover and how blatantly obvious it is to me that they can, and then me trying to convince them that they can. Mm. That's a tough conversation to have sometimes. Mm -hmm. Really, really tough. I'm going to tell you about a few of the times that I failed in that conversation. Because, okay, you know, that's like, exciting. Like, yeah, because there's, there's, we can talk about the people who have come to us and that we've convinced them and everything like that. Well, not convinced them, but, you know, we've said, you know, this is why you can recover and everything. But as you were saying that, I really want, I, I really feel like it might be interesting or helpful just to mention that certainly not everyone who comes to me with a mm-hmm. problem and you know that narrative of what they think they need or what they think is possible to them for them not everyone who comes to me walks away believing that they can do it you know some Mm -hmm. people have a consultation with me they ask my opinions they ask questions and then there's there's no question that i can ask no insight that i can draw from them that will actually help them to to think you know what yeah i I can do this because for for a couple of people it's been so deeply ingrained like Mm -hmm. there was one gentleman who i spoke with like last year 
he was on an absolutely disastrous disastrous diet oh no like like just the i like the the worst <laughs> you sound like you're in such pain talking about it because like i th- this the oh god like he was doing the most extreme fasting regimen i'd mm. ever heard in my entire life his target weight was just I, I like, I just, yeah, his, his target weight was like 10 kilos, like 20 pounds below what would be like a healthy weight. Oh, he'd, wow. he'd put on weight through binge eating and everything like that to be, you know, about, so he wanted to lose about 30 kilo in total. He was just, and his approach to that was just, well, I'm just not going to eat. I'm just, I'm just not, I'm just not going to eat. I'm <laughs> That's one way to like, do it. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, I'm just going to eat, like, just bare minimal for survival. And this is something that he'd done before. He had, uh, you know, this this weight cycling that, that he was involved in, his weight constantly fluctuating. And, um, yeah, I, I honestly, I didn't know how to, to help this guy. Like we we spent a, a few hours on the phone, mm, chatting about this and chat, chatting about that, and um, talking about you know what being a certain weight means to him, and you know the the physiological and medical implications of weight cycling, and from every different angle. And you know, full disclosure, like I don't believe that I'm the greatest coach in the world. Like there might be somewhere, there there might be someone out there who could have gotten through to this dude. Sure. But, but like, I'm I'm like, I mean, what I mean by that is like, I'm not saying that just because I wasn't able to do it, then no one could have, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. like, I think I'm pretty fucking good, but like, just because my- It's a healthy mindset to have. Yeah. But just because my method didn't resonate with this dude, it doesn't mean that, that no one did, but- it just um it struck well, me that I mean, there was nothing that... like, well, why do you think he didn't continue and then I'll ask sorry well yeah i just it it struck me that nothing that i could say not like i guess what brought this thought into my head was you saying like even if i tell you change is possible are you going to believe me mm-hmm. and and this guy was in a position where nothing I was able to bring to the table, whether it be scientific, whether it be empathetic, whether it be story, but like nothing seemed to convince him that it was a good idea to do something about this now, Mm. rather than, you know, go on this uh, fasting regimen that was essentially like prisoner of war level. (laughs) And yeah, I, I I think it's interesting that, that the beliefs that some of us hold uh, that sometimes sometimes we can't convince other other people. Sometimes it's like yeah, we can do. Yeah. Well, it's not you though; it's them. They're because it sounds like you went through 
so many different reasons why they could. I wonder what that guy's purpose was contacting you. If he was just looking for validation of his own beliefs um, or what, because usually people come in, people come in and talk to me hoping that it's possible for them. And so they are mm. looking for evidence that it's possible, which is probably why I also have more success with people. Cause it's like, well, here's why. And I like, I'm, I hope that this is true. So then they're going to believe it's true. I'm not telling them lies. You know, I'm telling them things that I know to be true for myself, scientific reasons, logical reasons, that sort of stuff. But if someone's going into a conversation hanging on to this starvation diet being like it has to be this way i wonder what his purpose was in talking to you was he hoping to change or was he just wanting to validate his own beliefs well 100 he was hoping that i could help him stop binge eating while he was doing <laughs> everything exactly the same as he currently was you know like mm -hmm. he was like i'm going to do this prisoner of war style fasting regimen and i want you to tell me the magic trick that's going to make me be able to stop binge eating and maintain the weight that i achieve after however many weeks or months of eating like 500 calories a day mm -hmm. <laughs> and that was the that was the belief that he was holding and i was like um okay like, <laughs> yeah you're like I, like, I, like i i hear you let's talk about this uh let's let's chat it out let's talk about it tell me a bit about why that weight is important to you and everything but yeah that's the um that was the thing he he didn't want to change anything that he was he was very selective about the things that he was willing to change i guess yeah yeah a lot of and, people are like that too and they they have to they almost have to be willing to understand that, yeah, you could keep these things, you could try, but your percentage of success gets much less. So, so maybe theoretically that's possible that he could try to do that diet and, and not binge and just use willpower or whatever to do that. But the chances of him being that anomaly are really low, like 1% mm. maybe if people can do that. Right. So maybe that's what yeah. you could have told them. Yeah, I mean, I I try never to talk in um in absolutes. So mm -hmm. I'll I'll almost never say to someone or you know, ironically, I'll never say that it's not possible. Like, <laughs> yeah. At all. I'll be like the odds of success are really really low. Like yeah. you you would be an outlier. Like mm -hmm. a a crazy like edge of the galaxy level outlier. It's that like that happen. dumb and dumber quote, that reel that's going around where he's like, it's zero or 0.1% 0 chance. And he's like, so you're telling me there's a chance. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I am telling you there's a chance. <laughs> Very low. Yeah, which I sympathize a little bit with mm -hmm. because, you know, like my previous um, previous career was music industry. So, <laughs> and that's yeah. literally what I've seen a meme about that. It's like, you know, it's impossible to make a living as a performer. Like it's like 0.01% of people actually make it like, oh, so you're telling me there's a chance. But yeah. it's like that, <laughs> those odds aren't something that's tied to like physiology, you know? Yes. Like, um, and I guess I wouldn't want anyone listening to this uh, to think that I'm um, chatting about this guy from a 
perspective of like judgment. Like I very, I very much see these conversations anytime someone walks away from me having not experienced the kind of insight that really helps them. I very much take that on board. I don't beat myself up about it, but I very much take that on board as like, okay, there was something that needed to be communicated there or understood. And I wasn't able to find it in that Mm -hmm. particular conversation. So yeah, I wouldn't want anyone to think that I'm talking about this dude from a perspective of like, oh, he didn't believe me. What an idiot, you know? No, no, no. (laughs) I think it's a productive conversation for a lot of reasons. One, I think it's really humble of you to admit a lot of people don't. Um, I remember one time when I put on my Instagram that like not everyone I worked with was had recovered and I was so worried about that post. I was like, people are going to know I'm a fraud, even though I've helped like tons of people. But it's true that not just because we're both great, great coaches doesn't mean every single person that walks into our presence is going to immediately be a hundred percent healed. So that's (laughs) true. And I like that that you're um, admitting that, but then too, yeah, I think it's productive because there are a lot of people out there that think like that guy and we thought like that guy at some point and maybe hearing it from a third party like us will help them realize, oh, you know, maybe my thinking's unrealistic. Maybe it's, and it was him at the end of the day, of course you couldn't find it. And I think as a coach, you should probably take 50% responsibility for that of like, okay, if I couldn't help convince him, what could I have done differently? Um, which is a productive thing to do. But then on him, what could he have been thinking differently? Why was he so adamant about holding onto those things? He just mm. wasn't willing to look at other stuff. And that's something you can't change, but it's good to know about people. And it's good for people listening to know that too. Yeah. With that side of things, have you ever noticed uh, a common link between people who really struggle to to change their beliefs surrounding what they need, what they think they need to be, what they think they need to look like, who they think they need to be in order to be valued? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like I heard that question wrong, but the common link, I mean, yeah, I think people just get so obsessed with a certain goal and it becomes so entrenched in their identity, especially as they grow in age. It's become a part of them for so long. They practiced it, practiced it for so long. And then also, you know, we're working on anti-aging, but I would imagine it gets harder to change those habits as they get more and more ingrained and that sort of stuff, just with, from a physiological level. So then you, then you tell them something that they believe for a long time that actually this, if this is possible, there's a really slim chance and you need to do something completely different to what the identity that you built is about, then yeah, they're going to have a real resistance to that. And it's not necessarily you, you're just trying to tell them things, but they don't want to believe it themselves because to believe that they almost have to believe that everything they've thought was a lie and they have to rebuild their entire identity, which is a big <laughs> ask of people. Yeah, well, that's true. Like, yeah, you nailed it. Like I found as well that whenever there's a really strong resistance to changing something for the better in a way that's going to create a better relationship with food, a happier life, it's usually tied to something that's such a fundamental like deep-seated belief that changing that would almost be like well if i change that if i question that i need to go back to the drawing board with basically every belief that i have and every decision that i've ever made and yeah that's a lot of work that's a big job yeah 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 i think of um this is 
unrelated, but I used to be a graphic designer and I worked in the studio out of, it was like an internship in college, but I hated when my boss, I'd be doing a design, right? I put all this effort, hours and hours into it. And my boss would be like, have you tried this? Like, what if we change this? And I was like, I don't want to change it. Even though he was probably right, it would have looked better. I wasn't a seasoned graphic designer. I wasn't that good. But he was asking me to just rethink everything about the concept I had created. And my brain was so resistant to that. I remember getting actually angry at my desk, which is why I probably wasn't a great employee. Um, but, and I wasn't angry, I would keep it contained, but I was definitely angry because no one wants to go back and revisit everything and change everything because it's going to require work. But what's helpful to know about that is, you know, when you do, when you're willing to just let go of everything about your identity, you can rebuild one. Uh, a client of mine yesterday, I put it in, I put it in my private membership email. I sent out motive Monday motivation emails. One's a private one, but she talked to me about this reel she saw, which was this woman. She lost an AirPod. It fell from her ear and immediately went down a drain just in the street. Oh, so it's just gone. Dude, that is, for a start, that's awful. That <laughs> yeah, just, like... yeah. But she, oh. the real, she looks at it apparently. She looks at the AirPod, sees that it's gone down the drain, looks at it for two seconds, and then just keeps walking, just keeps going. <laughs> and because she had to, like, what is she going to do at that point? She's not going to be able to go into the drain. I mean, she could maybe, but it would be a big issue. She's not going to put her hand in there, try to move the drain. She had to practice radical acceptance and be like, it's gone, it's out. And so the title of my email this morning for my private members, I said, let yourself go down the drain or something like that. Just like, let it go. It's gone. You're not going to get it back. Goodbye. Accept it, mourn it, and then move forward. Because when you lose your identity, you can rebuild a new one. That's probably even better. She can go, now go get a better AirPod, get a better headphone system. Maybe it's an old model. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love what you were saying then about um, how getting almost getting some reps in and getting some practice with accepting other things. Mm -hmm. it, it translates pretty well. I, what you're saying about, um, sorry, graphic design, mm -hmm. like I can definitely identify, like there were things that happened to me in uh, previous jobs, like previous careers where like colossal, like clusterfucks mm -hmm. that you would watch happening in that like car accident level, slow motion, just being like, well, there is literally nothing that I can do about this. So let's see. Let's go on. Let's yep. See how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, also something about that now that I'm thinking about the graphic design stuff and when people get so attached to their identities and angry, it's not that this guy got angry with you, but he was so attached to like, it has to be this way. I expect that I can get these results with this amount of effort. And I never forget some one time I did this design for this person and they wanted me to redo everything. They weren't happy with it. I was thinking like, this is the final design. This is going to work. And then they said like, no, I want something different. And I got so angry at them. And I was like, I have to do so much more work to make this happen. I can't believe that you're not okay with this. And they're like, well, you worked on that for eight hours. Like your expectation is unrealistic. This is going to take a lot more time to create the design that we want. And it was a very humbling moment for me of like, oh, um, the type of work I want to provide, the, what this person wants is going to take way more than I ever conceived. It's going to take way more effort than I ever thought. And my idea of effort 
is minimal compared to what they want. So to bring that into what we were talking about, people have this idea that it's going to work this way. You're actually totally wrong. And you kind of have to accept that you're wrong, humble yourself that you're wrong, and then try to rebuild that and accept that if I really want these results, I have to do something completely different. Mm. I know that sometimes I talk about marketing and everything like that, especially fitness industry marketing and diet marketing quite a bit. Sometimes I have a tendency to rant about it, but I think those different expectations, the expectations of how much work something quote should take or is going to take, especially regarding diet or changing relationship with food or a physique goal or anything like that. So many of our, or yeah, so many of our perceptions surrounding how much work things should take have been negatively influenced through marketing because, you know, everyone wants to make something sellable. Everyone wants to make something seem achievable, sellable, like, oh, if you buy this, if you do this approach, if you take this path, it's going to be quick. It's going to be easy. It's going to be simple. And it never fucking is. So So it becomes a, you know, to tell the truth in these situations and be like, yeah, okay, this is doable. What you want to do is, is doable. It's just not going to be like a fucking six week transformation. Like it's not going to be like a 90 day program. Like this is, this is long game shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you say long game shit, uh, I think of with recovery and I had lost weight after post recovery and stuff like that. But something that was different about that is I had to be super patient. I couldn't just do drastic things to change it. I was like, well, we, we know we cannot do this forever. So you can't be doing that shit now. You have to be, I'm training for a 10 K right now. And training for pace is the worst thing ever because I know <laughs> like when you're, when I'm coming up to a mile, I'm like, I could finish this mile faster. I know it could go faster. I could do it right now, but it's so boring to run at the same pace. And yet, you know, if you use all your energy now, yeah, you're going to finish the mile in a short amount of time. Then you're fucked for the next mile. What are you going to do then mm-hmm. when you burnt all your energy out? It sucks to be patient. It's not very fun. It's a skill. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, it really blows. Yeah, Actually, it does. You, you made a post the other day that was uh, was really cool. It was about essentially um, people who say that it's never achievable or never doable or never a good idea for anyone who struggled with an eating disorder or disordered eating to have an aesthetic goal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of dismissing that a little bit or debunking that a little bit. And I really admired your courage in putting that out there because it's something that I want to, I've, I've wanted to say that myself and I've tried to say it really subtly a few times, but I'm too afraid that um, the the disordered eating recovery crowd will come after me with like torches and pitchforks. What but- are they going to do? What, uh, ban you? It's <laughs> the worst thing that's going to happen. <laughs> I'm a I'm a sensitive flower. No, it sucks. It sucks to like, get criticism. Yeah. It's it's not so much that I'm afraid of the criticism. It's the the because I know that for some people out there, mm-hmm. and and this is where it's really difficult because the eating disorder recovery community has uh, different groups within it, and mm-hmm. for some people who've experienced certain kinds of relationship with food, certain kinds of eating disorders, 
yeah, it's absolutely a bad idea for some people to chase mm-hmm. aesthetic goals. Like there are, there are some people in some situations who um, it's it's not a good idea. And then yeah. there are other people who you're like with the right work and, you know, with the time and, you know, the emotional regulation and all these other skills, then yeah, it, it can be achievable, but it's hard to convey all that nuance in a single post. And I think there are a lot of people out there who are just too ready to assume the worst about mm-hmm. what's being said in any particular post. And that um, that direction or that, that thing of being able to have some aesthetic goals after recovery, after getting past bulimia, after getting past binge eating, exactly like you said, the first time I intentionally uh, manipulated my diet, manipulated my weight after letting go of binge eating bulimia, after going through that period of time where I was very much leaning into that unconditional permission surrounding food, like Mm -hmm. things did happen way slower, like way, (laughs) way slower. Like I was accustomed to doing things the way that I'd done them previously like in my early to to mid 20s and at that period of time doing what I was doing and being so detached from my own emotions and experience and everything like that I could drop weight really quickly if I wanted to mm-hmm. I would be a clusterfuck for it but <laughs> yep I I could I could do it whereas now it's like okay I'm in a place where I can make some intentional choices surrounding food with a goal in mind. However, the entire game changes in regards to the level of emotional regulation required, the patience required. It's it's like we have to throw away the timeline completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I like the idea of throwing away the timeline. Um, and it's interesting. I've been working with a client. I worked with her for six months. She's done with binge eating, purging, that sort of stuff. But she's not at a weight that she wants to be at. And she's like, I don't know, eight eight or 10 pounds heavier than what she wants to be at. And we've gone back and forth on like whether that's really that big of a deal. And I don't, I don't think it is. But ultimately, she's the client. She has to make up her own decisions, right? And so what I'd hate to see her do is go right back into her eating disorder to lose weight. But what we yeah. have been working on is, okay... There are areas in your diet like where you're overeating or emotional eating still. In which case, instead of just diving headfirst into let's go on a strict diet, why don't we just try to clean up those areas? But we had to work so hard with her on saying no or intentionally making a decision not to eat as much. It's not the same as restriction. It's not the same as, um, you know, going on this extreme diet. And what we've been talking a lot about is just asking in the moment, does this decision feel sustainable to you? Just saying no to this food right now feels sustainable. If it doesn't, eat the food, honor the craving. If it does feel sustainable and right to you, choose not to eat it at that moment. And that mm. that there's so much nuance in that too. Like you're saying, people are going to hear that and take it in different ways. Some parts of recovery, when you're first trying to stop binge eating, it doesn't necessarily feel sustainable, but over time it does. But I think when you are trying to make health decisions long-term for the long-term game or whatever you said that was funny, um, you got to ask yourself, is it sustainable? And you got to not be in a rush for it. And you do have to throw out the timeline 100%. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. 
there was something that occurred to me as you were talking then, but for the life of me, it's just vanished out of my head. <laughs> it's okay. Well, I wanted to ask you, you've been doing so cute. Th- for those of you guys that are listening, Marcus and I scheduled this podcast a month ago or so, and I not only accidentally entered the time in wrong for the calendar, but then it, it did it in a way that made him believe that he was the one that did it wrong, so he was freaking out. Um, <laughs> it was me, it's all me. But then I had had notes, apparently, that we, what we were going to talk about. And then I completely forgot the, the notes. So Marcus has kindly been more prepared for this interview and been carrying it. So this showed up a complete mess. But I wanted to say, has anything been coming up for you in your work? Anything you've seen a consistent theme of um, with your clients? Yeah. Um, this actually ties into the, the fact that I'm rebranding my own podcast. Like I'm Ooh. not not getting rid of the old episodes or anything like that, but I'm rebranding it in such a way that I get to color outside the lines a little bit because I feel like the last few years I've, you know, we, we should all be respectful of like the, the people who are super, super knowledgeable in the fields that we work in. Right. You know, we Mm -hmm. should all, like look at research, be really well informed and everything like that. So, you know, I've I've really gone above and beyond to not color outside the lines at all when it comes to any information that I've been given, any research that I've read, trying to be as informed as possible. However, in sticking to, you know, what we could call textbook knowledge so rigidly, in the name of providing the safest possible thing always, I think a few people have um, have suffered from that mm. and been l- limited in their approaches. For example, like I'm just starting now to offer some some coaching to people who we've done the work in terms of eliminating binge eating and we're moving forward with making some more of those intentional food choices like you said mm-hmm. not so much calorie counting and downloading my fitness pal and jumping on keto or anything like that but yeah. like looking okay if someone is uncomfortable at the weight that they're currently at we'll explore that we'll talk about it but I'm not going to so quickly write off the idea of weight loss if someone is willing to, you know, throw out the timeline, go about it intelligently, and actually look at what what really needs to be done. Starting with, for example, looking at those moments where maybe we are making emotionally driven food choices a little more than we that we need to Mm -hmm. and this is where in trying to stick really really rigidly to i don't know i keep calling it the textbook but you know what i mean yeah i know what you mean um textbooks can be wrong too well that's what came to mind when you were speaking yeah for sure uh in yeah i've realized in trying to stick so rigidly to that like there are some people who they're like yeah okay i'm not binging anymore can we please please do some weight management stuff now mm-hmm. and i've started to say okay and i've started to look at that stuff because you know if someone 
doesn't feel like that's something that they can discuss with me and they can work through with me, then if they're set on it, they're going to go to another coach or another program who will say, yes, absolutely, we can do that. Maybe without being really informed on their history, maybe without right. knowing as much as say you and I do in terms of um, binge eating and bulimia. So yeah, that's definitely something that that I'm doing. And that's why the the rebranding of the podcast, like it's going to be called Strong Not Starving. So mm, I love and, that. And- I think that you described it perfectly, though, of you can't, you need to be careful and you need to be responsible. And I think even though you're feeling maybe like you haven't been that way, I think you've been very responsible in how you are helping people. But you do have to be able to color outside the lines. And there are people, like, I feel like both of us are on the same page. We don't always think weight loss is bad. It's just that sometimes people do weight loss in a really terrible way. Or they have really unrealistic goals, like that guy that wanted to be 10 pounds below what is even deemed healthy. Um, And even that, like BMIs, there's some issues with that um, way to measure Mm. weight as well. But yeah, I'm finding the same thing too. I used to, I always said, you know, I, I do not teach weight loss in my program first and foremost, because it's it, the program is not about weight loss. It's about bulimia recovery. Yeah. And I don't think they should be done in tandem. But with private clients, there are a few that I've worked on with weight management only after they feel like they are good on the eating disorder, because you, you cannot do those in tandem, which I've talked about before. It's just, it's doing yeah. the exact opposite. And you need to be in a healthy mindset with food. You can't be desperate for food. You can't be utilizing behaviors. But I think that's great. I also was thinking while you're you're talking, I always hated coloring books. It was an artist that makes sense, <laughs> but I absolutely detested them. Kids would be like, you want to color in this coloring book? I'm like, no, I want to make my own artwork. Thank you very much. <laughs> so it's a sign for life now, right? Yeah, I mean, fuck you. This is my blank page. I'll do with it as I wish. Yeah, um, yeah. It's. I think you're you're absolutely right in what you said about not doing what we could call, you know, recovery at the same time as weight loss. Like I, one hundred percent with you there. Those two mm-hmm. things do not happen together. They, they, they. Like just, it's a disaster to try and do those things at the same time. They may happen but, unintentionally. Sometimes people lose yeah, weight that's with it. recovery, but I don't think you should purposely go after it. That's a really good thing to clarify too. That mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes I mean I do have clients who've worked with me to break their cycles of binge eating, and as a side effect, they their weight has dropped. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, that wasn't the intention. Whereas the, the people that I'm working with now, not in the sphere of like binge eating recovery, but more like the one-to-one stuff outside of binge eating, then yeah, we do some, we've started to do some weight management type thing. And I think that's something that I'm not doing any group training with at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I don't do weight management in a group course at all um it's only as like one-to-one conversations because uh, yeah at this point in time i don't feel like weight management is something that you know for someone who's struggled with disordered eating i don't feel like a group situation really allows the nuance necessary for safe weight management in that situation. Uh, that's yeah. just what I'm suspecting at this stage. What are your thoughts on that? I challenge that thought a little bit. I think there is room for it, but I 
you got to do it right because because there are some people that are never going to be able to afford private coaching this is the way it is right so that's why my group coaching i always make super affordable because i know that okay even though private coaching is probably amazing there's some people that's not going to be able to afford it and i think what i do which is bulimia recovery in a group setting is somewhat taboo. I don't think many people do that because it's like, what? You could, they have to be constantly monitored. And there are some people who absolutely, they need to go to treatment. Like it's unsafe for them to do that process with a group. However, um, someone in my group recently, she's an ex- older group member, successful in recovery, has been good for years. But then she just posted that she she signed up with this trainer that just did not understand her background and bulimia recovery, put her on this rigid mm-hmm. diet, all this stuff. And then she's relapsed. And I told her, you know, like, hey, it's okay. You just go through the things again. You'll be able to get through this. You recovered once before you could do it again. But that made me think like, I probably in the future want to make some sort of group program for people who maybe want to pursue this safely, because otherwise they're just going to go to people that don't understand. Again, not that we're the only ones that understand this, but there needs to be more safe fitness programs that don't put people on extreme diets. Don't ask people to do crazy things that are unsustainable and teach them how to make weight loss and if that's part of their goal, but just like how to incorporate health and fitness in general without it being completely disordered. So I think it is safe to do yeah. it in a group program, but you got to do it right. And it depends on the individual. Yeah, I 100% agree. I do actually run a group program that's, I guess you'd call it um, eating disorder informed training and nutrition. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, a, a group of women who I work with and yeah, we do. That's awesome. Yeah, we do a lot of uh, nutrition training and exercise. We, we, you know, ev- every subject is on the table as far as like body image. Like last week we talked about like what if you do still want to change the way you look? What if you do still feel that way? Like how to know when the amount of work that you're doing is too much and it's crossed a line to the point where it's no longer constructive. We talked about things like diminishing returns the fact that there's going to be a point at which investing more energy in a process and more stress isn't going to produce a correspondingly better result. Like Mm -hmm. the only thing that I do my best to kind of conduct with this group is like, there's no numbers talk. There's Mm -hmm. no like, I'm aiming to lose this much by this day, this week, I lost, you know, there's no weigh-ins and check-ins and and tracking the numbers and everything. We have a whole lot of other conversations around the topic, but I draw the line at kind of discussing weight from a numbers perspective. That sounds amazing for people. I I just don't It's like all the, all the best things about, you know, nutrition and training just without the talk about weight. Yeah. And I've always found, even when I was a personal trainer, always found that the obsession with numbers was always counterproductive anyway. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Some people who are super analytical and detail-oriented and have no drama attached to those numbers, they are fine with it. But I feel like that's not the majority of people. I'd, and again, there's a lot of people, the eating disorder community, which is an amazing place. What kind of say like, well, focus on numbers causes eating disorders. Well, no, not necessarily. But mm. a lot of people have struggled with eating disorders or have that natural inclination. They're going to take those numbers and run with it. They're going to turn it into like the worst thing possible. So <laughs> yeah, I think that's the best thing to do is like not focus. And that's with, with um, 
this woman that I'm working with, she is weighing in once a week, but we made very specific parameters around that weight. And we also are focusing really hard on how to not use that weight against herself. And she used to like weigh herself every day, multiple times a day. So, you know, it's better. But outside of that, we're not focusing on calories. We're not paying attention to that stuff because for the same reason, it really, when you focus on that too much, I think people with eating disorders, they tend to take it too far and it causes more of a problem than the benefit it would offer them. Mm. I mean, each of us in our own journeys, we were both looking at numbers or putting way too much energy into mm-hmm. a preoccupation with numbers at different stages. What do you feel was really the the kind of nail in the coffin for you as far as putting to rest that preoccupation with numbers? What do you feel really allowed you to put that aside and focus on things that have brought you to where you are now with being able to pursue certain fitness goals, make certain choices surrounding food. Mm, Yeah. The big numbers I had issues with were weighing myself all the time. I do weigh myself occasionally, but it's not all the time. And then um, calorie counting was my biggest issue, I think. And I stopped it because I just like, I can't do this. I'm not a detail oriented person. You see my posts, people that read my emails, they know it's like riddled with grammatical errors and spelling errors. Cause I just, I could be bothered and someday I'll hire a virtual assistant that will spell check things for me, but I just don't like detail oriented things. And I'm not very good at it. I'm much more of a big picture person. So I just kind of accepted that about myself. Like I can't keep doing, I can't sustainably keep tracking of calories. Only way I can is if I make it my one and only goal in this life. And mm-hmm. I don't really want that to be my only focus. My energy needs to go to other things. So for me, I just was like really accepted it's unsustainable and I can't do it and I don't want to do it. It's tiresome. It's bothersome. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. what you said about how if it was your one and only goal, yeah, then it's, then it's different. I heard an interview with Hugh Jackman recently, obviously, like, you know, he's about to do another movie with Ryan Reynolds. Um, Mm -hmm. He's doing Wolverine again. So he's getting in shape again and all this kind of stuff. And he was talking about his six months of preparation for this new film. And I thought, wow, okay, so there's going to be a lot of people that hear okay, it's going to take Hugh Jackman six months to get in shape for a new Wolverine film, but missing the nuance in that in that conversation and the other things that he said surrounding mm-hmm. that. So he said- I got to listen to okay, this interview. Oh, well, yeah, it's. Uh, I'll try and find it for you. But he essentially said, yes, I'm, I'm going to, I've put aside six months to get in shape for this particular film. Um. But he also pointed out that he has maintained an exceptional base level of fitness for Mm. like decades now. Like, sure, he's not really bulky right now and he needs to put on muscle for the Wolverine role, but Mm -hmm. he has maintained an exceptionally amazing level of fitness, great work capacity, you know, his movement patterns and his kinesthetic awareness and his coordination are just right there, like ready to go. So it's like all the tools to do that are just there waiting in the wings, ready for him to bring them out, which is very, very different from someone who may have, you know, started from scratch or has been training in a really, really uh, destructive 
way for however long. But then also he said that for that six months, he's doing nothing. He's scheduling nothing. He's doing no work. His job for that six-month period is getting is in to, shape. Yeah, yeah, is to train, eat chicken, and hang out with his family. Like that, <laughs> that is his mm-hmm. job for six months. And this is where I thought, wow, like if if more people could could understand that. Like when we hear these things, like you know, this person took this many months to get in shape for this, you know, performance enhancing drugs. uh, So many of the celebrity trainers, I don't, you know, too, I have to go exactly the hour, so I have to abruptly cut it off. But so many of the celebrity trainers, what's the guy that does the other guys? You know, that movie, he's like famous for all those transformations. Oh, Um, Mark Wahlberg? Oh, I hate that dude. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't hate him. I don't know him personally, but I hate his fitness videos. He's like, oh, I work hard. And I, like The Rock, his fitness videos are awful. Just awful. <laughs> Go to work hard. It's like a massive amounts of steroids. And then also with the Hugh Jackman thing, though, what's really interesting, I was thinking of physiologically, I can't explain this well. I don't, I don't know what it's called anymore, but I know when you train someone who has built muscle before, even if you lose that muscle, your cells, I forget what it's like, you have to produce more, uh, there's like more cell memory there. So if you lose that muscle, but then you try to gain it back, you are going to gain it back faster than someone who's never gained that muscle before. Yeah, 100%. Explaining it poor scientifically, but I know that there's a mechanism for that. So like people don't even see that. So everything you said, and then also the fact that it's his job, people don't understand this. A lot of influencers you talk to or you see online, it is their job to eat chicken and train. They don't do anything else. They have a manager for their social media. They have a camera crew following them around. Again, it's not impossible to reach those goals, but you really need to understand realistically what they're doing and what you have the capacity for. So thank you. You should do a reel on that. You should do like a green screen reel, Hugh Hugh Jackman in the background talking about the realisticness of his training schedule. Maybe I should. Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. I should probably make that a piece of short form. Yeah, what, what what I was going to say about PEDs for Hugh Jackman, like he says that he doesn't use PEDs and, you know, that's fine. Uh, But that that whole formula like muscle memory everything that you just said being able to rest and just hang out with your family you know even for someone who's not on peds that set of circumstances would produce a pretty amazing result mm-hmm. like stress and work and everything like that it it matters uh yeah. so and at yeah, least he's I, being honest about what he's doing too. I don't, I don't think he should be shamed for that. It's just, no, don't look 100%. at him and be like, Oh, I'm going to do exactly that. It's like, well, if you have a job, you're already at a disadvantage, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, we we're seeing a few people be really honest in a really cool way about that. I think Robert Downey Jr. Was another one who okay. was, was talking about some preparation that he did probably for the Marvel films or something. And I think he said at one point, I mean, I don't quote me. It might not be him. I'm, 90% sure that it was Robert Downey Jr. But he was like, I have all my meals done for me. Like everything, <laughs> yeah. every, like every, everything's done. Like it's not a, it's not a thing that I have to take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
So no, it saves you a 100%. bunch of time. Anyway, to wrap things up, speaking I'll, of time, I'll text you. I'll text you after this, so I'm not just abruptly leaving. But I know we're both of us are going to be on each other's podcast, right? So yeah, I don't know where can people find you at, and then I'll tell where people can find me at. <laughs> mkaincoaching.com so m-k-a-i-n coaching.com but primarily on instagram i'm always on there jacqueline where can people find you um people can find me at binge breakers uh underscore bulimia on instagram my podcast is binge breakers my website is binge breakers just type that into google you'll find me hopefully awesome mate all right we'll chat again Mm -hmm. soon yeah yeah it was awesome talking with you really good conversation i'll let you go though Bye, bye cool bye Hey, if you found this episode helpful, check out my website at bingebreakers.com. It has free courses, awesome group coaching, and private coaching available to you right now.